electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, something just happened in TV that has never happened in history, and it could cost you. President Biden's big climate spending bill turning one today. Happy birthday. But what some say could be the real cost may surprise you. And wait till you hear what Janet Yellen just said about it. One of the fastest growing restaurant chains in America has investors coming back for seconds. That name ahead, Discover, a new CEO. A longtime head of one of America's biggest credit card companies is out over some accounting allegations. Mr. Herb Greenberg is on the case. A stunning court ruling on climate change that could change the rules in every state. And should big tech be liable for deep fakes? How lawmakers are looking to crack down. All that and much more coming up. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. As always, good evening here. Good afternoon out west. I am Brian Sullivan. We're going to hit all those stories and more during the hour. But first up, Wall Street on a bit of a red alert because bond yields are popping again. Borrowing costs hitting highs not seen since the financial crisis. Now, we know this may not be something you look at every day, but maybe you should because the stock market is often led by the bond market. And the 10-year yield is close to its highest level in at least 15 years at 4.2%. Two years ago, the U.S. government paid just one and a quarter percent on its debt, which means two things. Number one, America, you, will now have to spend even more taxpayer money on just paying interest on our debt, something that we, by the way, talked about with Ron DeSantis last night. And two, mortgage rates are likely to move even higher from here. But while we go up, China is trying to go the other way. Their central bank just made their biggest rate cut in three years. They are trying to salvage a weak underlying economy. Also, China said it will no longer report a critical unemployment number. In other words, China basically trying to hide some key data points from the world. Now, all this reverberating through the markets, at least today. All the major averages down about 1% or a little more. The biggest decliners, banks and financials. JPM, Bank of America, Wells Fargo City, down more than 2 or 3%. Fitch warning, it may be forced to downgrade banks due in part to, you guessed it, interest rate uncertainty. We know bonds, not something most of us do for a living, but they are critically important to the overall market. So let's talk more about that, rising yields, and really what it means for your money, even if you're just sitting in stocks or even cash. And let's bring in our A-list panel to kick it off. Chief strategist at 248 Ventures, Lindsey Bell, and modern IR founder and CEO, Tim Quas. Lindsey, great to have you on set, by the way. Great to be here. No, thanks. So, you know, again, bonds are kind of a wonky corner, huge, but kind of a wonky corner of Wall Street. A lot of our viewers like, yeah, I hear about them. Why, why do bond yields matter for stocks? Well, they matter because a lot of corporations have debt 
that uh, they have to pay interest rates on. And so if they have to refinance that debt, they're going to have to pay higher rates, just like if you refinance your mortgage. That matters to the consumer. And if the consumer has rates going up on the credit cards or mortgages, that means they have less to spend. That could impact top lines for poor corporations. So it could hit earnings and corporate earnings as well. Correct. Which then could hit valuations, could hit multiples. Absolutely. The whole, the whole thing starts to fall down, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Tim, listen, the hardest... There's a couple things that you never hear on TV these days. I don't know is one of them, or I was wrong, right? You never hear those things, but I will say this. I was wrong, okay? Time stamp it, because I don't, and by the way, I don't think anybody predicted this level. I mean, if there are, please come out of the woodwork. This aggressive level of rate increases, not just by the Fed, but by the bond market. Maybe, Maybe you did. Um, well, and the other group that you never hear those phrases from are politicians. Uh, Brian, good to see you. Uh, and, and I appreciated all your live field reports via Twitter from your, uh, from your Florida visit here recently. Uh, no, certainly I wasn't predicting that they would be that aggressive. I'm, you know, there's certainly a, a, a liturgy, if you will, for how interest rates bring down inflation. And that's what it was. You know, the very simply for for uh, the you know the average person on Main Street, why does the why do we hike rates? Because we want people to conserve cash rather than spend it. Because the belief is that cash is chasing prices up and creating inflation. That's not necessarily true. To me, the the definition of inflation is low interest rates because it increases the supply of money which chases things and it will, there will be a consequence at some point. But certainly, no, I did not expect that rates would rise this fast. And, you know, what benefits during a rate hike? Well, typically growth stocks do. If you look back over the, you know, the last five times that the Fed has hiked rates from 1988 to present, uh, growth stocks perform pretty well, up 10% during those cycles on average per year. So pretty good return. That doesn't, but Tim, that doesn't, that that doesn't make a lot of sense to me I, I, because... I, to Lindsay's point, it should hit valuations, perhaps. Those tend to be the higher valuation equities, and yet the market doesn't care. Is it maybe because, I, I, it's so, so weird, we're looking at rate cuts next year? We're looking that far ahead? Indiana Jones 6? You know, I, I don't believe that thesis. I, and I hear it offered all the time. I don't believe that the human attention span is that long, no matter how well educated it is. I think that the reason uh, that you see growth stocks benefit is because it is a consequence of inflation. Money flows to things that are stores of value. And that could be growth stocks, things that grow at a faster rate than inflation, art, cars, real estate, private businesses, look at the boom in private equity, all of those things are manifestations. But what happens after the rate cycle ends is that all of those growth stocks give back all of what they gain and more. And Tim, the trouble I, would, for me, I would actually, I would say you've got it backwards. What we saw was the tech stocks, the high growth stocks of, of the market, they got hit hard last year. And that was because the Fed was raising rates so fast, much faster what, than anyone really anticipated. And what you saw is you saw the tech stocks get hit. And as the Fed started slowing down their pace of, of increases, you, you saw the tech stocks come back to life. And that's what we've, we've endured for most of 2023. So that's the way uh, I think usually it, it works, because what happens when interest rates rise, that means future cash flows for these tech stocks are worth 
less, and they have the greatest cash flow usually within the market. So that's well, where that, I think we're that at would today. Be, and, and I'll differ with you in this regard, Lindsay. Uh, that would be true if most of the money in the markets were motivated by fundamentals, but it's not the case. Uh, you could rattle off the seven top uh, asset managers in the United States, State Street, uh, BlackRock, Fidelity, Vanguard, UBS, State, uh, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, and 70% of the assets there are asset allocation run. So I would say that- And most tech of them weren't invested inflated. in tech when it was going up, so. Well, no, everybody had to be. Everybody had to be in the largest tech stocks because that's where the liquidity is. Seven of, those seven stocks that we consider the Magnificent Seven trade $100 billion of stock a day. Everybody's got to be exposed to them. So they inflated, they deflated during the cycle, they reinflated again, because there's still too much money chasing too few goods. But I don't think that you can impute a rational or fundamental motive to the way that the market behaves anymore, because it just doesn't reflect what the money's un doing underneath. That doesn't answer the question, though, Brian. I forgot what the question was, <laughs> but, it, but, it, was, but it, was a, it was a hell of a good discussion. Uh, you know, here's the thing, Lindsay. T t he was saying, Tim was saying, it, what Tim's firm does, really unique and kind of cool, looking at sort of underlying volatility, kind of look at some of the, Tim and I have talked a lot about market structure and how the, this, not, not earnings, but how the market is built in terms of volume and liquidity and things like that. And I would have thought these kind of rates would have hit liquidity, which would have hit stocks. Uh, it's just not the case. And maybe it's because the rest of the world, ex-China, ex-China is also experiencing higher rates. And by the way, the U.S. stock market is only the seventh best performing in the world this year. The whole world, ex-China, is inflating. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's going to be a while before you start to see some of the developed countries uh, including the U.S., cut rates. And I think that's part of what you're seeing in the interest rates right now, especially on the longer side of the bond market. They're moving higher because they're pricing in a return to economic growth, which originally, got, when we entered this year, wasn't part of the equation. We were expecting to go into a recession. We're talking about recession, hard landing. Now it's the exactly. no... Is it, is it, Tim, is this the no landing scenario, the ultimate ski jump? <laughs> no, no, not at all. So... If you look at it's very important to understand that the, the way that gross domestic product is mm -hmm. calculated, gross domestic income has fallen. It is more than 25 percent below gross domestic product. Gross domestic product is output. Gross domestic income is all the money we earn. Yeah. So if we and we're a consumption based economy, there are two important things to know. And yeah, we quickly, should, Tim, China please. is mm -hmm. China is not a problem for China alone. Our imports have declined dramatically over the last four quarters. We're averaging a 4% decline in imports while China sell, makes that stuff. So it's hitting China. We're also exporting less. We exported 11% less last quarter. So we are selling less stuff to the world. If you back yeah. out government spending, which is up 3.8% per quarter the last four quarters, we are in recession. So the wow. question is, can you count on government spending to keep you out of recession? I don't believe so. Well, we're going to find out. Hey, good stuff here. We got the music. They <laughs> Give me the music, too. Tim and Lindsay, thank you very much. That's the not-so-subtle way of saying move on. All right, meantime, thank you, Taylor. Here is your stud and dud. The big winner of the day, Paramount, up 3%. The biggest decliner, Discover, down nearly 10%. More on that later with Mr. Herb Greenberg. All right, up next, why the death of traditional TV may not be greatly exaggerated. Plus, at the one-year birthday of President Biden's big climate bill, the good, the bad, and the unknown, a 
of how much it just may cost the crown. You have a vision for your business. Your priority might be to expand facilities or bring in the best talent. At Century Insurance, we listen, learn, and work to understand your business and your plans to help protect your new locations. As your business evolves and your vision comes true, Century, right by you. Property and casualty coverages are underwritten and safety services are provided by a member of the Century Insurance Group, Stevens Point, Wisconsin. For a complete listing of companies, visit Century.com. Policies, coverages, benefits, and discounts are not available on all states. See policy for complete coverage details. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. And indeed, TV did travel the world and America at the velocity of light. Why does everybody back then sound like that? Anyway, or at least it did for decades. Your daily RBI is talking television because something just happened that really is random but interesting and a huge shift. TV ratings from Nielsen said that for the first time ever, TV viewing in July fell below half the U.S. population. There's the breakdown. Cable TV, just under 30%. Traditional broadcast TV, basically what many of you watched via antenna for decades, came in at just 20%. And the two combined now, or at least did in July, for less than 50%. And you can guess why. So-called streaming, like Peacock or Hulu, Disney+, Plus, Netflix, whatever, is now nearly 40% of your viewing time. Video games also take up a big chunk of that. That's not even counting, by the way, social media. So while many of you cut the cable cord, you are still watching screens, maybe more than ever. But the dream of what we would simply call TV, you know, like that, huddling around as a family to watch, family ties are all in the family, is moving on like an old canceled sitcom. But hey, we had some good times, didn't we? Random, but interesting. All right, for more on this, bring in Rich Greenfield, partner and co-founder of Lightshed Partners, an early streaming evangelist who warned us like eight years ago about the decline of traditional TV. Okay, you were early and you were right, but I, I'll say this, like bond yields in the previous segment, Rich, I don't think anybody knew it was going to be this quick. You know, when I, whenever we're talking about technology, Brian, it's always slow, 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 and then really fast. And I think... We can look at a lot of examples of how this has changed. Look at what happened to the music industry and the disruption there. We had a hashtag you probably remember um, years ago called Good Luck Bundle. And we sort of were predicting that this streaming was going to overtake. And it was really because it was centered around the consumer. I mean, you think about the traditional TV bundle. You had to pay 80 Now it is $100 a month 
most of the channels you don't watch. Like, Brian, I'm guessing you're not a huge watcher of, you know, the A&E network. And you're probably not watching lots of Lifetime nor the Science Channel. But you were paying for everything. Like, even if you just wanted ESPN, you had to pay for everything else. In streaming, like, I don't know, Brian, but yeah. I would suspect you don't pay for a lot of channels or you don't pay for a lot of services that you don't use. If you're watching Netflix, you pay for it. If you don't want Max, you cancel Max. Same thing with Peacock or any of these. They're all very easy to sign up for. It puts the consumer, for the first time ever in media, in full control of what they spend and yep. where they want to watch. But, like, they're no longer stuck on a TV. But, but nobody's also making money, and Rich, it's like, the, it's like the, the, the sun also rises. The novel by Ernest Hemingway, he says, well, how did you go bankrupt? The guy says two ways, gradually and then suddenly. I mean, when do people start making money in this? And by people, I also mean my parent company of NBC Universal with Peacock. I mean, it feels like a either a race to the bottom or everyone's going to have to pay 50 bucks a month for Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Look, your parent company shouldn't be in the streaming business. There's no reason for Peacock to exist. There really doesn't need to be a Paramount Plus. I mean, what we need is consolidation. There are too many streaming services with ARPU's, you know, monthly costs that are just too low. You're seeing all of them try to raise price. That is hard to do. Like it's, you're seeing it with Disney now. They're raising the price. Hulu is now $17.99. Yeah, I'm adding them up. I'm adding dramatic, them up. It is expensive. And you think about, remember, outside of Netflix, none of them have tremendous viewership. I mean, the yeah. most watched streaming television, you cited that Nielsen study, the number one streaming service is free. It's called YouTube. Number two is Netflix. It is a big drop down yeah. to get to Hulu, Prime Video, Disney Plus. So that means you're paying a lot for these services now, and you're not actually watching okay. them speaking, a tremendous okay, amount. I mean, spe speaking of my parents' company's parent company, parent company is NBC Universal, and of course, our parents' parent is Comcast. And I, by the way, full disclosure, I own one stock. My family and I own one stock. It is Comcast. As people know, we cannot own individual equities. I do own this stock as part of our ESOP, and I'm happy because Comcast stock, Rich, has gone from 35 to 47, really accelerating. Is something going on? I mean, there's been a lot of talk and chatter, and I know nothing, by the way. I'm just a you know mid-level talent. <laughs> Which is, is there something Look, going on under the hood? Look, obviously, Disney's near a multi-year low. Um, you mentioned Paramount. You, you're seeing a lot of these stocks are, you know, not too far away from, you know, multi-year lows. Comcast has had a you know, pretty good year. And I think the reality is, is remember, Comcast is not about the linear TV business. They're not even really about the streaming TV business. Comcast distributes broadband like they are a broadband provider and that broadband business, especially pricing. We're in a very inflationary environment. My partner, Walt Pysig, has been pretty open. The telcos are taking price. You saw Disney take price. You saw Spotify take. I just saw just before we went on the air, Amazon's raising the price of Amazon Music. Like everyone is yeah. taking price right now. Comcast has done a great job raising price. And I think investors are looking at the stability of their broadband business. That's why people are buying Comcast stock. No one is buying Comcast because of the linear TV business or hopes or prayers around Peacock. It's a rounding error. People are actually, I think more investors are hoping that Comcast exits the TV business. Like you heard Iger went on CNBC with David Faber, what, four weeks ago now, Brian, talking about ABC and the linear networks being for sale. 
I think there's a lot of investors that would love to see Comcast do the same thing and separate cable systems, broadband wow. distribution from NBC Universal. It's been talked about for years, but I feel like when Iger is beating the drum saying linear TV is dying and you put that chart up at the beginning of this broadcast, yeah. it makes everyone start to think something's going to happen consolidation wise over the course of the next couple there of years. Go. I don't think losing two, three billion dollars per company, that is not a sustainable situation no. for any of these companies. Gradually, then suddenly and a lot going on. Rich Greenfield, and by the way, my executive producer, that had he missed a critical opportunity. He could have jumped in my ear and said, upper mid-level talent. Don't sell yourself short. Rich Greenfield, thank you very much. <laughs> Max, all right, still ahead. HBD to the IRA. It is the one-year anniversary of Biden's big climate bill. We're going to tie the green money to the green energy. Next. You have a vision for your business. Your priority might be to expand facilities or bring in the best talent. At Century Insurance, we listen, learn, and work to understand your business and your plans to help protect your new locations. As your business evolves and your vision comes true, Century, right by you. Property and casualty coverages and underwritten and safety services are provided by a member of the Century Insurance Group, Stevens Point, Wisconsin. For a complete listing of companies, visit Century.com. Policies, coverages, benefits, and discounts are not available in all states. See policy for complete coverage details. Welcome back. And by the way, a happy birthday to the president's big climate spending bill. Tomorrow marks one year since President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law. The IRA itself covers a variety of issues. It's built back better with some other stuff thrown in. But of course, much of it is devoted to energy, including an estimated $369 billion in energy and climate-related investments with the hopes of cutting greenhouse gas emissions by about 40% in seven years. It's a huge deal, literally. But as big money is getting thrown at new energy projects like offshore wind farms, the cost of some of those projects is going up, which is leading some to worry that energy-related inflation could actually stay flat or even get worse over the next few years. Now, yesterday, during our interview with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, I asked him about inflation in the United States. Clearly, we got to get inflation under control. Part of that is Congress should stop spending so much money. Part of that is grow the economy. Part of it is increase productivity. But part of it is energy independence. Biden's made a decision to go with the Green New Deal and pursue that agenda. That is not an agenda that is going to help us reduce uh, inflation. Also, in just the last hour, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen out with an op-ed in The Wall Street Journal touting the Inflation Reduction Act. Yellen cites growing investments in energy projects, especially things like battery facilities in the Midwest, as well as the law's requirement to pay prevailing wages and have apprentice requirements for labor unions. Yellen wraps up the op-ed by saying, quote, the Inflation Reduction Act is a turning point in the national effort to preserve the planet and shape a prosperous, inclusive and resilient future. So overall, is there a way to grade the IRA one year in? Remember, a lot of this stuff hasn't even been written yet. Let's get to our panel, former Maryland Congresswoman and Washington Post columnist Donna Edwards and former special assistant to President George W. Bush, Ron Christie. Uh, Congresswoman Edwards, first to you, there's a lot more to do in the IRA. Some of the tax credit stuff needs to be worked out, but I can guarantee you some of your former constituents in Prince George's County and Anne Arundel and Maryland's fourth, they've been facing higher energy costs the last few years. Will this help them? 
Well, I think it will. I mean, I think especially um, in the Washington region and really across the country, there's an increased demand, for example, for um, ele- for electric vehicles. Um, I've already seen a rollout of many more charging stations available, and I think that's true across the country. Uh, the president is going to be in Wisconsin uh, tomorrow, and I think there's an electric charging station manufacturing plant uh, that has opened up in Wisconsin. The reality is that the Inflation Reduction Act, and particularly the clean energy uh, provisions, have actually spurred a lot of private sector investment that we've seen announced from charging stations, solar panels, uh, and uh, manufacturing production, which I think in the long run, people can see the damage that's being done uh, to the planet uh, with greenhouse gases. And it's past time we acted, and this is the single largest investment that we've had at the federal level uh, for for these kinds of projects, and it's beginning to pay off. Well, we'll see. Ron, you know, listen, and I hear what uh, Congresswoman Edwards is saying. I'm a little more skeptical, as our viewers know, because I, I, I know personally a lot of people who have done exactly what I'm about to say. They're going to buy an electric car. They're going to put solar panels on their roof. They're going to have their Tesla wall, you know, Powerwall battery or, or Generac, whatever the brand may be. They're going to kind of take themselves off the grid. They're not going to pay gasoline taxes. They won't be paying taxes to the energy company because they now are their own source of energy. And I worry that once the rich people and upper middle class start to do that, I don't know what's going to happen to to the rest of America that cannot afford to do that. Am I way off base in that kind of thinking? Brian, good evening to you. No, you're not way off base. You're exactly on base and on target. It's interesting to me that the Inflation Reduction Act, even President Biden has said this really will not have a big impact on inflation. You know, I'm a budget geek. I worked for the House Budget Committee chairman for eight years and the Congressional Budget Act or Congressional Budget Office, I should say, put out a report that said that this act would have a negligible impact on inflation. The interesting thing here that I, when I went to whitehouse.gov, which I did earlier today and typed in this act, what was the first thing that came up was clean energy. So this was never intended to reduce inflation. This was always intended to have the Green New Deal and the grab bag that the administration sought the first time around they didn't get. But I share your concern. If the middle class and the rich people decide that either we're going to bail on this or we're not going to buy these uh, electric cars or these uh, electric vehicles, then I think a lot of people in the lower into the economic strata are going to suffer well, the, the consequences. Yeah, and, and, and Congresswoman Edwards, the, 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 the average electric car is like $60,000. Repairs are, are more expensive in part because there's, there's more technology for, for certain things. How do we make sure that, to, by the way, to Treasury Secretary Yellen's point of view, that this energy move is indeed inclusive? Because if it's not, if we got, you know, people, blue collar folks, some of your constituents who are paying giant rate increases to fossil fuel companies who are less, you know, who are getting fewer and fewer customers as people leave the grid, that is not a positive for society in any way. Well, one of the positive things that actually is already being rolled out um, under the Inflation Reduction Act is an investment in affordable housing that is also energy efficient. Um, Investments in things like, you know, making sure that people can buy energy efficient appliances, which will lower their 
um, their energy uh, consumption costs. I mean, I saw I just drove across the country and saw a rollout of um, wind farms all across the uh, center of the country that is powering uh, Kansas and um, some other states. And so I think that um, I, I think that this is a really sort of sweeping investment that is going to touch every slice of America. We also haven't talked about the money that's going into resilience. Uh, to make sure that communities can more quickly adapt and recover uh, from these major climate influences. We've seen that the poorest communities are the most vulnerable. And I think the, the yep. act actually focuses on, on them. So we're really at the beginning of these investments that are going to mean greater private sector investments, more jobs created that can't be uh, taken overseas, and a lot more um, research and development and technologies I think that are going to bring costs down over time. Yeah, I, and let's hope that you're right. The thing I worry about, Ron, again, if things like wind and solar is that you need three times as much to produce the same amount of power because there's intermittency. In other words, sometimes it's cloudy, sometimes the wind's not blowing. So if you want to produce the same megawatts, gigawatts, whatever of a nuclear plant, you've got to make three or four X the amount of wind turbines to match that up. I'll give, I'll give Pritz, Governor Pritzker in Illinois some uh, some credit. They're looking more and more into nuclear. I know a lot of people have strong views. Why aren't we talking more about nuclear? Always on carbon free, zero carbon emissions, at least for the power plants. I understand the uranium mining will have that. Three points I would say to this quickly, Brian. Number one, look at what you're seeing in Massachusetts, right? It's not in my backyard. You find a lot of the environmentalists up there don't want those wind farms off the coast of Cape Cod. They don't want them to disrupt their uh, iconic views. Number two, nuclear, absolutely. Look at France. Look at the percentage of energy that is generated in France by nuclear power, and they're doing it very safely, and they're doing it in a clean and effective manner. But number three, we go back once again to the Inflation Reduction Act. It's more expensive to put gas in your car. It's more expensive to get a loan. It's more expensive to get food at the grocery store. So if we want to talk about reducing inflation and having an impact immediately, yeah middle class and lower income folks, let's focus on the bread and butter issues rather than these green things that these investments years well, down the road will pan out rather than actually help people right now. Ron Christie, Congresswoman Don Edwards, we'll get you back on. Listen, I think, Ron, to your point, yes, but it's early. We haven't given it time. It may take years, but but these are jobs and we need we need all the energy we can get. We'll get you both back on to talk about it. Thank you both very much. Happy birthday to the IRA. By the way, Pepco in D.C. raised their rates again in April. All right, still ahead. You're going to want to hear this. A major acquisition against Disney by a Hollywood banker. Plus, investors, they don't care how many calories may be in that pita. They're hungry for more of that stock. Kate Rogers coming up. Time for tomorrow's news tonight. Some of the stories you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning, CNBC style. Hollywood financier TSG Entertainment is suing Disney for breach of contract. They allege Disney and its studio, 20th Century Fox, withheld hundreds of millions of dollars in profits plus costs to cut deals to boost streaming platforms and the stock price. TSG Entertainment helped co-finance 140 films, including the Avatar sequel, 
We have reached out to Disney's reps for comment. They have not immediately responded. All right, it is a big evening for Kava. Kava, remember, is the Mediterranean fast casual restaurant chain. And the stock is rising about 9% after hours. That follows its first earnings report since going public in June. What was, what was so tasty in the Kava earnings? CNBC's Kate Rogers joining us now live with more. And I was also shocked to see, Kate, they added 102 stores in the quarter. More than one a day by my math. And I'm not great at math. They're really growing. <laughs> Uh, they are growing quickly, Brian. We'll take you through the numbers. So a big first report here for the Mediterranean chain, Kava. They did post this profit of 21 cents in the first quarter as a public company on revenues of 173 million, 10 million higher than the analyst estimated for the quarter. Same store sales also soared up 18.3%, and the company's average unit volumes rose from 2.4 million in the prior year quarter to 2.6 million this quarter. Now, while the company has been compared to higher-priced meal peers for consumers, like Chipotle and Sweetgreen, Kava co-founder and CEO Brett Shulman, sounding like they're taking a beat on pricing at the moment, being mindful of the big picture for consumers. Take a listen. I think from a macro perspective, you know, we're really mindful of a lot of pressures facing our guests um, outside of their, their Kava experience, which is why we've leaned into our value proposition. And as Tricia noted, you know, have no plans to take price uh, the rest of the year and have taken minimal price increases year over year to put forward a really great value proposition uh, for our guests, regardless of, of what the macroeconomic conditions bring. Now, guidance for the full year also quite strong. It expects to report same-store sales growth for the full year of between 13% and 15%. The company, as you mentioned, has also opened a lot of stores, more than 100 since Q2 of 2022, 16 net new openings in this current quarter. It also expects it will open between 65 and 70 new restaurants in the fiscal year of 2023. CEO Shulman sounding very upbeat about the long-term pipeline of talent at Kava and digital loyalty that it's building with customers. He told Barron's he's seeing a, quote, very resilient consumer. Some of the testing and digital advertising it plans to do, as I was listening in on the earnings call, reminds me as a reporter of some of the pipeline that Chipotle has built out over the years. This company is also compared to both Chipotle and Sweetgreen. Both of those stocks are also some of the best performers of this year. And in this environment, Brian, back over to you. Yeah, you just wonder, Kate, you know, listen, we saw with Chipotle, Sweetgreen, there's always like these fad food companies I, on the day it mm. IPO'd, I went to one near my house. I put it up on Instagram. It was del- I have to say, it was delicious. It was the, the chicken pita was delicious. Do people talk to you about it, this being like kind of a fad? You know, I don't know. It's so fascinating. There's a triangle of all three of these near the NASDAQ, as I'm sure you know, is. and lines for all of them are often quite long. So you kind of can gauge what's the new hot thing, where are people going? But What's interesting in listening to all of these reports is that it seems like consumers may be pulling back a little bit yeah. from delivery, whether that's convenience or price point. They may be going more in stores, but all three had quite you know, strong sales with consumers. They're willing to pay a little bit more of a premium, I think, because of that health and wellness component. And that's a, a common thread between the three uh, well, brands. I have to say, I did look at the nutritional thing before the show tonight. I was shocked at like a thousand calories, <laughs> thousand calories for some of, of these pitas, pitas which sounds you think it's healthy and then it's a thousand calories. Hopefully that was just the avocado. So wow. it's, it's a, it's a, avocado's <laughs> a fruit, right? It's got a you seed. tell us. Kate Rogers, thanks for, is an avocado a fruit? Yeah, it's got a seed. It's green though. Anyway, treat it like a vegetable. All right, quick programming note. Kava Group CEO, Brett Shulman, he knows, will join Squawk on the Street tomorrow morning for a first on CNBC interview to discuss the report. Kava, growing fast, check the nutritionals. Tune in 8, 10 a.m. Eastern for that sit down. All right. 
Good day for Kava, bad day for Discover Financial. Shares the Illinois-based companies, parent company of the Discover card, you might have one in your wallet, fell nearly 10% today, the lowest close since May. Here's the reason. Discover announced CEO Roger Hochschild would step down effective immediately. Company's board did not give a reason why, but there have been some uh, accounting issues that have come up recently. For reactions, bring in Herb Greenberg, Empire Financial Research Editor, CNBC contributor. All right, so you got a CEO stepping down. They didn't give a reason, but yet the company also has got like this accounting thing about misclassification of merchants. Mm -hmm. Not a massive deal, but the stock fell when it happened. I'm going to guess Herb Greenberg will say the CEO's departure was not random. Did you know, Brian, Here we go. if you were to ask me what I think, I would say that it is never a good idea. It's usually not a great sign when the CEO of a company under somewhat of fire, as this company tends to be and has some accounting related types of issues, suddenly leaves without a successor, uh, a firm successor in place or a succession plan. And in this case, the company is going to have an earnings call or is going to have a call tomorrow morning, I believe, where they may discuss some more of this. Um, but it makes you wonder what is really going on here. Now, in going through what is going on, because what you really have is you have uh, the company since night since 2007, since 2007 has been overcharging merchants. And that becomes a big issue. It's about a four hundred million dollar hit at some point that they I think, provision for. Um, and there are also some issues of compliance with the FDIC. In fact, the current CEO said yeah. um, on a call where he talked about this, he said, we've under we've under we've under invested in compliance. So here you have a compliance issue. Is he basically taking the fall? He has taken the hit. He has taken responsibility or is something else about to hit? We're gonna, this is a company. You yeah, Go ahead. Go we're ahead. Gonna find out we're stocks down. Oh, it's your. Come on. Herb. Stocks down 30 percent in a month Thir- or sorry, 30 dollars a share. In a month, maybe it's also 30%. I think it might be close either way. You get the point. I mean, the stock is is back to where it was, taking a hit. It feels like there's maybe more to come again. Yeah. And this and this is a situation which is, this, this is a company, I have to tell you, and by the way, I covered the rollout of the Discover card in 1986 when I was a financial, the New York financial correspondent for the Chicago Tribune. Um, I covered that as it merged, and this has became ultimately Discover Financial Services. This is not a company you would expect wow. to have this kind of problem. You actually have very little short interest. No one really raising red flags over it that I could see. And then this hit. So is it something bigger? Is he just taking the fall and he has to get out? He's 56, 57 years old. You know, so it's not a retirement. Um, yeah. So uh, we will find out soon enough. And it's random but interesting. I didn't know that you covered the company long ago for the Chicago Tribune shortly well, after acquiring was... two hotels on Baltic and the B&O Railroad. Herb Greenberg, thank <laughs> you. There you have it. Yes. Thank you, my man. All right, See coming you. up, an unprecedented court ruling on climate change with big implications for states and energy. Former energy secretary and Texas Governor Rick Perry will join us with reaction. There he is next. All right, welcome back. Recently, a major ruling when it comes to climate change. A Montana judge days ago deciding in favor of a group of young environmental activists, some under 10 years old. They say the government is violating a state clause that guarantees the right to a, quote, clean and healthful environment by allowing fossil fuel emissions. The court's decision says the way that Montana evaluates fossil fuel permits is unconstitutional. 
because it doesn't take into long-term effects of greenhouse gases, of which kids will be more affected because they will live longer. Joining us now is former Texas governor and former energy secretary Rick Perry. Uh, whatever you make of the lawsuit, governor, thanks for joining us. Uh, do you think it will play out in any other states? Because I can guarantee you there's probably 49 other states where groups of kids are getting together, if they haven't already, to put together these kinds of legal challenges. Yeah, well, the first thing that comes to mind when I saw this was the old saying, uh, I think Edmund Burke gets credit for it and a lot of other people as well, but uh, that if you're not a liberal by the time you're uh, 18, there's something wrong with your heart. And if you're not a conservative by the time you're 40, uh, there's something wrong with your mind. Uh, so it, it doesn't surprise me that there are young uh, people who get swayed one way or the other <laughs> in this uh, discussion about the climate. Uh, there's a lot of educating that needs to go on. There's a lot of science that's still uh, not settled on this by any sense of the imagination. And to your point, I think there's only three states in the nation uh, that allow for the Constitution uh, that mentions this issue of uh, your, your healthy uh, environment and what have you. I think Pennsylvania, New York, and then Montana. And, and the question comes to me is, is, I know this is focused on fossil fuels, and that's that's what the, uh, the battle is about, this war against fossil fuels that the current administration and the climate activists are uh, engaged in. But, but the question, you know, really is, if you're going to look at the Constitution, the way it's written in those three states, uh, was the state of Montana a safe place before fossil fuels came along? And, and the question is no. I mean, listen, it, it, it's very clear that uh, living out in Montana uh, in the, you know, the early yeah. 1800s was pretty rough living, yeah. not safe. So, you know, I don't think this issue is going to go anywhere uh, in the courts. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, but but my, really Montana, a, obviously. This is absurd to begin with. Montana is, so. I mean, as, we, as you've probably been there, it's gorgeous. It is nature's playground. It's pristine. But it does have some of the largest strip mines for things like copper, the Anaconda Mine, and others in the United States. I, I want to I move on, Secretary uh, and Governor Perry, to, I don't know if you heard our earlier discussion. It's the one-year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act. Listen, we need... We need more energy in this country. I don't care. Your, your state, Texas, is the largest producer of renewable energy in the United States. Ironically, some of the wind power is actually used to help power the refineries. That's a different issue. Should this be a zero-sum game, or are we going to need it all, including, including nuclear? Yeah, I, I did listen to uh, your earlier segment. Just for the record, Avocado is a fruit. Thank so you. Just mark that down in your book yep. there. <laughs> I wasn't going to let you go on that one. Uh, but, but here's what we need to be uh, focused on. And all of the above approach to uh, our energy supply is what we need. I was very uh, supportive of wind energy back 20 years ago when uh, natural gas was going to $14 a, an MCF, and we needed some alternatives. Um, I think we went overboard uh, at the federal level in particular uh, on giving all of these subsidies. You get more of what you subsidize. Obviously, the wind energy and the solar energy are now subsidized greatly. We did not subsidize to any great degree uh, fossil fuels, clean burning natural gas. Uh, we didn't, as best I can tell, give any subsidies to speak of uh, to small modular reactors. I think that if you're a wise citizenry, you look at across the board, uh, 
what are the base loads that you need? We don't have enough base load in the state of Texas, but we rely too much on renewables in the state of Texas. I think at the end of this year, we'll, re we'll require 46, or we will have 46% of our dispatchable energy by renewables. That's out of balance. You need to have that base load. Uh, and, and frankly, what happened in Texas in 2021, had it not been for fossil fuel, when the wind and the uh, solar went offline, we would have lost our entire grid. And that would have been a catastrophe. I mean, catastrophic. But it didn't happen because of fossil fuels. Find the balance. That's the key. If, if we will come together, listen, Democrats, Republicans, let's quit fighting each other, come together, find the answers. And I will suggest to you one of those answers and the smart answer for the environment, for baseload, is small modular reactors. Yeah, th those are small modular nuclear reactors. Uh, Secretary Perry, we're going to let you go. A lot of people I talked to about nuclear, they still, they just watched, you know, Chernobyl on HBO. Uh, they think of Three Mile Island. These are completely completely Walk away different safe, totally Walk different away safe. yep and 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 i think nuclear is going to have to if we want to be carbon free and always on nuclear's got to play a role secretary rick perry I'm always on. a pleasure thank you sir good to have you bro All right. thank you man coming up should big tech be liable for deep fakes gone wrong this is going to be a big deal we're going to talk about it next All right, welcome back to Last Call. We've talked a lot about deepfake images and videos quite a bit on this show. even showed you some pretty creepy stuff and how they can be used to spread misinformation. Well, now there's a new group of lawmakers on Capitol Hill hoping to regulate the technology. Washington correspondent Emily Wilkins has more. Emily, welcome back. What are they doing? Well, Brian, as you know, of course, videos and images generated by AI, they're getting harder to tell from the real thing. And lawmakers are growing with their concerns that the potential impacts on national security and your privacy. So there's a new working group that's just formed, and it's really focusing on this issue of deepfakes. It's comprised of lawmakers from the New Democrat Coalition. They're a centrist group of lawmakers, and they tend to drive a lot of policy within their party. Congressman Derek Kilmer is heading up the group and said he wants to do a deep dive into deep fakes and how they could erode confidence in democracy. There's real concerns about the potential for AI generated disinformation, real concerns about misuse of advanced AI models. And that's the type of thing that requires Congress to get smart and get smart fast. And that's where the New Democrat Coalition has really cut its teeth. Kilmer said he plans to introduce a bill that would require the Department of Homeland Security to report on deepfake videos. Other bills involving deepfakes would make it a crime to share altered photos showing real individuals in fake compromising situations. And another bill would require AI images to come with a watermark showing that they're not authentic. Lawmakers are also looking at how AI is being used in campaign ads. Fabricated images have already been used in several ads this year, including one by the Republican National Committee. AI was used to imagine a hypothetical catastrophes during a second term for Biden, with fabricated images of Taipei being bombed by China and a run on the banks. The new working group will also be digging into other issues, including protecting workers who might lose their jobs to AI. Brian? Very quickly, if that ad, the one you showed, had like a fictional, you know, reenactment, would you think that would have covered it, would have cleared it quickly? 
I will say this ad, if you do look in the upper left-hand corner very faintly, you can see that the oh. image does say that it was from AI. But of course, there's a Emily. question, are all ads with AI going to have that? Oh, fascinating. I missed it. Thank you very much. Great, important story. Thank you, folks. Thank you for tuning in to Last Call. We'll see you tomorrow. Shark Tank is next. You have a vision for your business. Your priority might be to expand facilities or bring in the best talent. At Century Insurance, we listen, learn, and work to understand your business and your plans to help protect your new locations. As your business evolves and your vision comes true, Century, right by you. Property and casualty coverages are underwritten and safety services are provided by a member of the Century Insurance Group, Stevens Point, Wisconsin. For a complete listing of companies, visit Century.com. Policies, coverages, benefits, and discounts are not available in all states. See policy for complete coverage details.